miss seeing you all in the flesh, but I know we'll all be together very, very soon in Jesus' name. And, um, yeah, I'm honoured to be bringing the word tonight and want to thank Pastor Rabs and Pastor Tony for um, trusting me to bring the word tonight. I pray that uh, every word I speak is true, true to God, true to the Holy Spirit and true to his word. And I thank you for agreeing with me in that regard. And you know, I am I am excited about this word um, because my heart for everyone listening is that we'd all move forward together in Christ, in our walk with Christ and in our race. And a lot of the time the Holy Spirit just wants to tweak things in us and something I'm going to talk about tonight is something that's come up for me in my life and I've had to wrestle with and deal with and I'm sure it's it's a part of everyone's walk or it has been a part of everyone's walk. And, you know, it, one, one thing that always um, surprises me is that a lot of believers are, are walking, you know, frustrated, um, discouraged, disappointed because things aren't going according to their plan. And really with the Holy Spirit in us and with the gift that Christ has given us, we should be the freest, the most joyful, um, the most loving, the most gracious people on the planet. And, and we, we almost have no excuse to, to be otherwise given what Christ has given us and what he's done for us. And so I've titled this message, My Way or the Higher Way, and it's a play on words. You've probably all heard the, the expression, it's my way or the highway, and maybe you've used it yourself uh, <laughs> when trying to get your way with certain people, but it's not my way or the highway, it's my way or the higher way. And so oftentimes when you hear that expression used, it's because someone's trying to get their way. And they're saying, hey, listen, I want things to go the way I want them to go. And if they don't go the way I want them to go, then there's going to be trouble. And sometimes we can be like that with God. Uh, sometimes we have our own plans, our own expectations, <laughs> and, um, and we can project that onto God as well. And... If I take you to Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 to 9, um, the, the Word of God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so there's your way, God is saying, and then there's his way, which is a much higher way. And God is drawing a distinction here between our way and his way. And so often in our walk, it's a wrestle between our way and his way. And so what I want to talk about tonight is the thing that often lead, leads us to chase our way rather than the higher way. And the thing I want to talk about tonight is control. And recently I was in prayer and felt the Holy Spirit ask me the question, what's the opposite of faith? And if I was to ask you that question, you don't have to answer out loud, but what would you say? I know some people might think fear is the opposite of faith and that would be correct. Or maybe you might think unbelief is the opposite of faith. And that would be correct too. But the Holy Spirit whispered back at me and said, the opposite of faith is control. The opposite of faith is control. So what is control? If I were to ask you the question, what, what do you think control is? Control is it's a desperate need for things to go according to your plan. 
It's a desperate need for things to go according to your plan. Now, Jeremiah 19.11, we all know that scripture. We all love that scripture. And it says, we probably all say it together, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So God has plans for each of us and he has plans for you. But control is when you say, well, I don't know about God's plan. I don't know what's happening with God's plan. I don't know if I can trust God's plan. I need things to go according to my plan. And it's a very um, dangerous place to be because you're not then walking by the Spirit. You're not walking in God's plan. And really when you're walking anywhere other than God's plan, the end result will be destruction and pain and ultimately a lack of peace. And I think all of us would 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 recognise that when we're not walking according to God's plan, the thing that suffers the most is our peace. I want to share um, a story, actually. This was probably about 10 years ago. I'd recently been saved and returned to the Lord, and I was excited, and um, I was on fire, and I'd made a decision. I'd heard about this um, mission organisation in America, and what they do is you spend nine months um, of a year overseas and they send you to three different continents and you spend three months in each continent and you go with a group of people and you link up with a missionary on the ground and you serve God and um, I decided that that's what I would do. And I resigned from my job. I'd, I'd kind of had a, a legal job. I booked my ticket and I was so determined that I was going on this mission trip. But I ran into a bit of a problem, and that is whenever I prayed about it, I didn't feel any peace, and I felt the Holy Spirit saying, you're not going. And I really didn't like hearing what God had to say about it. <laughs> and I wanted to control the situation. I had my plan. This is what I wanted to do. And it was funny what started to happen in me when things weren't going my way. I started to argue with God and I actually used to preach to God and I'd say, but your word says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. I'm trying to sell everything I've got to follow you and you're stopping me. And so the Holy Spirit is saying, no, I've got a different plan for you. And I'm saying, no, I've got my plan and I think your plan should align with my plan. And I was even using the word of God to argue with God. And I noticed I had no peace. I had a lot of fear and anxiety because I kept making these plans and I knew it was against God's plan. And... Um, I started controlling other people or trying to control other people, telling them, yeah, God told me to go and, and started to lie because I wanted to fulfil my own plan. And people started to notice that, like, one day I was I was very erratic because one day I'd say, yeah, I'm going. Next, next day I'd say, look, I don't feel peace about it. God's telling me not to go. And then the, the day after that, I think I've heard from God again, and I say, yeah, I heard from God. He said go, and it was just a very up and down time. And so I didn't end up going, and um, I couldn't understand why God didn't want me to go, um, but I ended up obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit and yielding to his plan and saying, okay, I'm not going to go. I'm just going <laughs> to follow your leading, and I'm going to surrender my plan. And, and I'm glad I did because he had a much better plan for me. Um, looking back now in hindsight, he had the most amazing plan. And I don't want to go into the detail what happened shortly after I surrendered, but it was quite amazing. 
And so that's just the highlight that there's our plans and then there's God's plans. And when, we, when we're walking according to our own plan, we're frustrated, uh, we lack peace, um, we're unhappy, and we lack joy, and the best thing we can do is walk according to God's plan. Psalm 32, uh, verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. So it's God who instructs us and teaches us in the way we should go. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Now, that is an amazing scripture. I'll, I'll read it out again. The lot is cast into the lap. You know, the lot is like a, a roll of a dice. A roll of a dice is cast and its every decision is from the Lord. And that proverb is telling us the level of detail that God is concerned with, that even when we roll a dice, the decision of that dice is determined by the Lord. And so if the Lord is, is uh, deciding such seemingly um, insignificant decisions like a roll of a dice, imagine the plans and the decisions he has for your life and the plan he has for your life. And so a lot of us uh, want to walk in the kingdom of God. And when we think about it, the kingdom of God is where he is king. It's the kingdom is the king's domain. It's where he rules and he reigns in every area of our life. Where we're walking by the spirit and the spirit is ruling and reigning in our life. And so when we're trying to control our own destiny, when we're needing everything to go according to our plan, we actually miss out on the kingdom because we're saying, no, I'm king or I'm queen and this is my domain and it's not the Lord's domain. Uh, a lot of, you know, we seem to be in a, in a pandemic at the moment, but I noticed a different pandemic and that's a pandemic of anxiety. And I, I remember when I was at school, we never heard the word anxiety. Never. And I look at me now, I look around me now, and it's almost every second school student is talking about anxiety and they've got anxiety and they're struggling with anxiety or their friends got anxiety. And I'm just thinking, what is going on? And the Bible, Paul says in, in Philippians chapter 4, he says, be anxious for nothing. And the word anxious in Greek actually means worry. And Paul says you can actually be anxious for nothing, that you can live a life where you're not anxious about anything. And so I been doing some thinking about why is anxiety so prevalent and this is my speculation and you might agree with me you might not but if we think about our life today where we we have access to whatever information we want we have incredible insight into people's lives on social media and people have insight into our lives incredible access and insight, live feeds. We have live news at our fingertips, updates every two minutes, every five minutes. And I believe this is actually the cause of a lot of anxiety, but it's not just that. What I think it is is we've been sold a lie that you can actually control your life that you have access that to, to all the information you could ever possibly want. You could Google whatever you want and find an answer 
You can control your social media presence. You can control what people can see about you or, or how you appear. And this, I believe, is what's causing a lot of anxiety, the, the belief that we can actually manage things, get things done, protect things, that we live in a culture that says you can control things. And really, <laughs> the underlying message of the Bible is that you're not in control, that God is in control, that actually you can't control much. And the only thing the Bible actually encourages you to control is yourself, not the world around you, not the people around you, not your circumstances. And so in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, when talking about the parable of the sower, he talks about worry. And he, he, said, he, he tells us something really concerning about worry. And he says it will choke the word from being effective in our lives. In verse 22, he says, he who received the word and the cares, remember that word means, the cares means anxiety. It's the same meaning as anxiety and worry. The cares of this world choke the word and, and they become unfruitful. And so worry and fear and anxiety can actually make us unfruitful. And so why am I talking about anxiety? Because I believe there's some connection between anxiety and control. That when we, we're, we're told we can control everything, yet anxiety, if I was to define it, is a feeling of being out of control. an overwhelming sense that you're not, that you're out of control. So the more anxious you feel, so I believe anxiety leads to, it's like this vicious cycle. Anxiety leads to control and control leads to more anxiety which, which leads you to want to control more, which leads to more anxiety. And you find yourself chasing your tail, wanting to control your circumstances, control your family, control your work, control everything going on around you. And God is saying, hey, would you let me be God in your life? Would you surrender your fear, your anxiety to me? Let me take care of those things. It's amazing that Peter says, cast your cares onto the Lord because he cares for you. Again, that, that word cares is anxieties. Cast your anxieties, cast your worries onto the Lord because he cares for you. Second, uh, actually, I'll talk about Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. It says, O oh Lord, I know the way of a man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. So another translation says, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. Our lives are not our own. We've been purchased at a price. We are Christ's. And he has plans for us and he determines our footsteps and our future. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, we all know this scripture. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Isn't it interesting here? that he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face 
and turn from their wicked ways. It's easy to think a wicked way is some sinful behaviour that you're caught up in, and it is. But I think the way to read this is your wicked way is where you're actually walking in your own way rather than in God's way. And so if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and actually give up control to God rather than trying to walk and control your own way, then he will hear from heaven, will forgive the sin and heal their land. And so a wicked way isn't necessarily some um, sinful habit you've got. It's actually trying to ensure that life goes according to your own plan. And that is wicked, the Bible says. Interestingly, um, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 10, Samuel comes to Saul and he says this, he says, go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I'll surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days and I will come to you and tell you what to do. So Samuel says to Saul, go down to Gilgal, wait seven days and I'll come and I'll tell you what, what to do. This is the prophet Samuel, and Saul knows he's a prophet. He speaks the word of God. But Saul gets worried because Samuel doesn't turn up straight away on the seventh day. So Saul takes things into his own hands and offers the sacrifices himself. As soon as he finishes doing the sacrifice, Samuel turns up. And it's interesting, a couple of chapters later, Samuel, the prophet from God, because Saul has taken things into his own hands, he thought, I need to control this situation. I don't, uh, the, the prophet can't be trusted or the prophet can't be relied upon. I'm worried that my army is going to desert me. I don't need to worry about what he said. I need to take this sacrifice into my own hands. And Samuel when he turns up, he says this to him. He says, you've done a foolish thing. You've not kept the commandment the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And so because Saul decided to take matters into his own hands, he wanted things to go according to his own plan rather than God's plan. His whole kingdom was flipped upside down and he lost his right to be king. So deciding to take matters into our own hands rather than trusting in God's plans is actually a very serious thing. It's not to be taken lightly. So a lot of people might read that and say, yeah, uh, Saul was disobedient. But what is underneath disobedience? Underneath disobedience is control. That you don't want to obey because you want to do it your way. You want to control the situation. And why did Saul take things into his own hands? The Bible tells us he was afraid that the army would desert him. And so underneath disobedience is control and underneath control is fear that unless I take this thing into my own hands, I'm going to lose control. And control is a work of the flesh. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21, Paul says the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, 
and he goes on to list others. You know, sometimes we, we often, we modern people, think witchcraft is potions and spells and, uh, you know, people reading from magic books and that type of thing. But witchcraft is actually a desire, simply put, witchcraft is a desire to dominate and to manipulate to, and to control. And so when we're actually trying to control people around us, trying to control God, trying to control our circumstances, the tactics we use to try and control, whether it be manipulation or intimidation, there's a long list. That's actually witchcraft. Control is witchcraft, where we're actually taking things into our own hands and trying to orchestrate the future rather than leaving things in God's hands. Now, obviously, there's a time to be, you need to be responsible about things. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those areas of our lives where God needs to rule and reign and we're actually holding on to them and taking matters into our own hands, refusing to surrender certain things to God, certain circumstances, might be a relationship, whatever it might be. And God will show us what those things are. So control is of the flesh, it's not of the spirit. It's interesting, actually, in the very next scripture, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, Paul talks about the fruit of the spirit. And he says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness and goodness, faithfulness and self-control. And so the flesh wants you to control God, control others, control your circumstances, control whatever you can. And what does the spirit want you to control? Yourself. Self-control. So there's a big difference between the flesh and the spirit, and we know they're at war against each other but the spirit will lead you to control yourself and not to control what actually God controls or what is in God's hands. So Galatians, again, are still there. And I love what Paul says here. This is, this is the most powerful scripture uh, for me, I think. And in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by, the, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if you don't live anymore, if you've been crucified and it's no longer you who live, how is it that you can control anything? Because if you don't live, if it's not you who's living in you but Christ who's living in you, then it's Christ who's in control. It's the Holy Spirit that's in control. And so to drive this home, I'll, I'll flip this scripture and when we actually take things into our own hands and when we, when we want to control things that God's meant to rule and reign over, it sounds like this. I have not been crucified with Christ. It is I who live. It is not Christ who lives within me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in myself. Do we hear how different that sounds? 
I'm going to repeat it. I've not been crucified with Christ. It is I who live. It is not Christ who lives within me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in myself. And so when we want to take control, that's actually what we're confessing over it ourselves. And the alternative is we let God be God and we let Christ rule and reign in our lives and in our spirits. And so when you control, what you're ultimately doing is saying, I have faith in myself. I don't have faith in God. I have faith in myself. And Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5 says this, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not bear heat and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Wow, what a scripture. This this summarises it all. It basically says that the man who trusts in his own flesh or in the flesh or the strength of man is actually under a curse because your heart has departed from the Lord. And it says a man who trusts in his own flesh or the, in man will be, it's like he's parched in the wilderness, thirsty, dry. It's uninhabitable, an uninhabitable place. It's like the Holy Spirit can't come and dwell in you because you've got, you're walking in so much control that there's actually no room for the Holy Spirit to come and operate in your life. And the Holy Spirit wants to come, but there's no room. And the opposite in verse 7, says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord rather than himself or in the strength of man. Blessed is the man whose hope is in the Lord. Shall be like a tree by a river will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. So if you want to deal with anxiety, if you want to be fruitful, the answer is to give God control of every area of your life. You know, one one thing when I was preparing this message, God showed me that he showed me Simon the sorcerer in Acts and how he was a sorcerer. He engaged in sorcery and witchcraft and all those things and he was actually attracted to the apostles because of their power and how someone who... His whole life was centred around controlling others through sorcery and witchcraft, how he was attracted to what what the, the apostles had. And we have to be very careful sometimes because actually sometimes people are attracted to church and to the body of Christ because they see power there. They see the power of the Holy Spirit. And they think, well, maybe I can utilise this power to achieve my own plans. And we have to be honest with ourselves and actually say, are you coming to God because you want him to help you achieve your own plans? Or are you coming to him to surrender your plans so that his plan comes to fruition rather than your own? And it's sometimes painful 
to surrender your own plan. Sometimes it involves loss. Actually, it involves death. But he's in control. And if he, uh, this is a good question to ask us tonight. Are we ever out of control if God is in control? Are we ever out of control if God is in control? Sometimes we can feel like we're out of control. Sometimes those things want to surface in us, fear, anxiety. But if God is in control, then we can actually surrender those feelings to him and we can let him be God over those situations, those circumstances. You can cast that anxiety onto him because he cares for you. So what does what does control look like? How does it manifest in in the physical? Like I said before, I gave the example of Saul taking things into his own hands. Um, Sometimes it can look like going before your time, not waiting on God, making decisions without um, without praying about it. Sometimes it can be forcing a closed door open where God has shut a door and we go and try and smash that door down because it's what we want and we don't like that God said no. Sometimes it's drowning out the Holy Spirit intentionally because we don't like what the Holy Spirit's convicting us of. It can manifest in kind of day-to-day life. For example, anger, where, again, we get angry where we're not getting our way, whether it's with God or with people. I've already spoken about anxiety. Uh, Sometimes it looks like not being able to delegate because we can't trust anyone else. Sometimes it looks like trying to change other people where the motive isn't love but actually control, where we need them to be a certain way for ourselves. And that's, that's not love. Uh, manipulating to get your own way, not being able to take no for an answer. Sometimes it looks like always being in a hurry, not having enough time because you're too busy trying to keep it all together. This is one I thought of today, road rage. Always wanting to do like Martha. We all know the story of Mary and Martha and Martha's a very good example where she's too busy trying to do things and she comes to the Lord and and asks the Lord to fix her sister and says, Lord, can you tell Mary to get up here and help me? And so she's trying, Mary is spending time in the presence of God and here's Martha trying to control her sister. And God says, Martha, you are troubled and you are anxious about many things. But Mary has chosen the better thing, which will not be taken away from her. And so anything we control will actually ultimately be taken away from us. Whereas Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus in his presence, trusting him and his word, Jesus says, that's the better thing. And that will never be taken away. Well, maybe it manifests like always needing things to look neat and tidy. <clears throat> so 
So what is so what's the root of control? I've already kind of mentioned it before that under not, underneath control is fear and unbelief. So what does the unbelief sound like? Sounds like, and this is why it's so important to actually sit in the presence of God and if you are someone who struggles with control, to actually let him show you what's going on in your heart, to write down and confess what you're truly believing about God because in your mind you can say, yeah, I trust God. But in your heart, you might be saying, God's running behind schedule. You might be saying, I don't know if God's going to come through for me. You might be saying, I don't like God's plan. I want my own plan to happen. In your heart, you might be thinking God can't be trusted. And that's why it's so important to let the Holy Spirit actually pinpoint these things in in your heart. Because when they're pinpointed, when they're confessed, then they can actually be dealt with. And I believe when you actually sit in in the Holy Spirit, in the presence of God, he will pinpoint these things. And some of them will shock you about what, you, what you're truly believing and what is at the root of that control and that anxiety. Maybe it sounds like this. Maybe it sounds like, I know God rules the world, but I'm afraid he's not going to get this right. So... If you were to, if there's God, the creator of the universe, and you on the other side, who do you think should be in control? Like, who are you up against? Because when you're actually trying to maintain control, you're actually fighting against his will. And the creator of the universe, our father, who loves us, is not someone we should be fighting against, but someone who we should be cooperating with and honouring, worshipping, trusting, believing And I know this can be a bit of a a heavy message, but I think we we can all take it, (laughs) you know. I think we can all grow from it. And so the, the next thing I'll say might hurt a bit, but the Bible says that love, Paul says, love always trusts. Love always trusts. Love always perseveres, love always hopes. And so when we're not trusting God, it actually reveals a lack of love for him. So when we're trying to control our own life, which means we're not trusting him and his plan, we're actually withholding love because love trusts, love always trusts. And you can, (laughs) I don't even think I need to say this, but I know in in my life when I've tried to control things, uh, I'm never actually in control. You, you have brief glimpses um, of control which last for about five minutes and then you go back trying to maintain whatever control you think you've achieved. 
And so it's an illusion. You never actually are in control. God is always in control. And so you spend the majority of your time trying to get control and then maintain control and then keep control and that vicious cycle. And uh, this broke my heart today, actually, when I was thinking about it. And I've heard anxious people say that, you know, they can't get out of bed. And in the context of this message, that made sense to me because bed is a place where you are in control. And you don't have to worry about losing control outside. And so if that's anyone who's listening, we'll pray with you and believe that those anxieties can be given to God and that you can walk in freedom as you trust him because he cares for you. Believe you can be delivered. So how do we how do we deal with it? Sometimes it is spiritual. There is a spirit of control. And sometimes it requires deliverance. Other times it's a decision we've made. And if I go back to the scripture in Chronicles, it actually gives us the process by which we can cease to walk in our own ways and actually walk in God's. So it says, if my people who are called by my name will firstly humble themselves, secondly, pray, thirdly, seek my face, then turn from their wicked ways, which is their own way. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So the process is actually outlined in that scripture, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And so Paul says, Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And so when we, he's he's saying through prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God and then trust him. So it's about making the prayer and actually giving it to God, not making the prayer and holding on to it, trying to control it. Make the request known and trust that God is sovereign, that God is in control, and that his plan will unfold. But so often our prayer can be out of anxiety rather than out of trust. And it can be, oh, God, I I need you to help me control this. But what Paul is talking about, make your request known to God, And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, can't understand it, will guard your heart and your mind. And so it's when we actually release those things to God that peace comes. And that word guard in the Greek actually means garrison. So the peace of God comes and builds a wall around you when you give that request to him and you trust him with it. You know, I think it's it's interesting when Peter says, cast your cares, again that word means cast your anxieties, and some translations actually use the word anxieties, cast your anxieties onto the Lord for he cares for you. 
It's interesting he uses the word cast because Peter was a fisherman. And we know Jesus often came to Peter and he's like, hey, Peter, cast, cast on that side. And it's like Jesus taught Peter how to cast, <laughs> where to cast. And then Peter is the one using the language to cast your anxieties, which, and when I think of the word cast, I think get what, what it is you want to cast and get it as far away from you as possible. So get your anxiety and rather than carrying it yourself, trying to control it yourself, actually cast it onto the Lord. Why? Because he, he cares for you. And if there's anyone who can deal with it, if there's anyone who can encourage you through it, if there's anyone who can disciple you through it, teach you something through it, then it's him who cares for you. Grow you through it. <clears throat> so humbling, humble themselves. My people will humble themselves. Humble, humble, humbling yourself is actually just recognising that you're not in control. And I found, I found that to be a very useful tool when I did feel myself losing control, actually stopping and saying, God, I recognise right now I'm trying to control this situation and that is causing me to be anxious and I'm going to stop trying to control this situation. You are God and I'm going to give this thing to you and I will trust you to control it and to deal with it and it is now out of my hands. And if you can do that, if you can be still and know that he is God, then the peace of God will come. And you won't waste so much time trying to control things. And you can actually enjoy God's presence rather than and rest in his presence rather than trying to control things in the flesh. <clears throat> Prayer. You know, um, one thing the Holy, Holy Spirit told me uh, a couple of days ago, it's quite powerful. He said, you know what, the ultimate the ultimate way to give up control is praying in tongues because you don't control your tongue, you don't control your thoughts, you're not in control of even your spirit. When you pray in tongues, you are, you've given everything to God. Your tongue, your mind, and your spirit. And so if you want to practice surrendering control, tongues is a great place to start. And say it before you start. You say, God, right now I'm going to give you control of my tongue. I don't know what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit is praying through me. I'm going to give you control of my thoughts. I don't know what I ought to pray. And I'm going to give you control of my spirit. And right now I'm, I'm out of control. I'm going to let you be in control. That is a great place to start. <clears throat> I'll finish with this, um, this scripture that God showed me. He showed me some interesting things. He, he took me to Luke chapter 22, and this is the Garden um, of Gethsemane. And 
you know, this is after the Last Supper. We, we all know what's happening here. And Jesus says to his disciples, he says, um, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So he asks them to pray. And then it says he was withdrawn and he knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. And so this is the greatest uh, moment of surrender in all of history where Jesus surrenders to the plan of God, that the only man who lived without sin would die the most one of the most excruciating deaths on the planet when he'd done nothing wrong and he'd actually lived the perfect life. And that moment of surrender where he says, not my will but yours, be done. And it's interesting, in John it says, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. It's like that peace of God that surpasses all understanding came to guard his heart and mind. And it says, then he rose up from prayer and went and found his disciples and they were asleep. Then Judas comes to betray him. And in, in, in chapter 22, verse 49, it says, when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them, we know it was Peter, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. So here, Peter, they actually ask Jesus the question, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And before Jesus even has an opportunity to answer, Peter has pulled out his sword, taken his sword into his own hands and chopped off the ear of Malchus. And Peter was not going for his ear. Peter was going for his head. Peter wanted to kill him. He got his ear, but he was actually going for his neck. He wanted to commit murder. And it's a shocking example of the, the disciples. We know in a script, few scriptures before they failed to pray. And Jesus is saying, pray so you don't fall into temptation. And a few minutes later, he's Peter. He asks, it's like he asks the Lord a question. Lord, should we strike? And he doesn't even wait for the answer. He just goes and to commit murder. And so the, the, the trouble we get ourselves into when we're not prayerful, where we're not walking by the spirit but walking by the flesh, and when we're not actually waiting for an answer from God but taking matters into our own hands, and quickly trying to achieve what, whatever it is we want to achieve. And it's interesting, the, the servant of the Most High whose ear he cut off, his name was Malchus, it says, and Malchus comes from the word malak, to be, it says that the meaning of it is to be the king. And it's like what? What Peter was doing is lunging at and wanting to kill that, that which would be the king. And so when we, he takes the sword into his own hands and he actually wants to kill that which would be the king, that's what 
I felt the Holy Spirit show me earlier today. And when we take things into our own hands, we, <laughs> we want to kill the king. We don't want the king to rule and reign. We want to rule. We want to reign. We want the outcome. And so Jesus says to Peter in, in the other gospel, he says, put your, put your sword away. And, and we know Jesus goes and heals his ear. And it's like Jesus is saying to him, hey, bro, wrong sword. There's the physical sword, the, the flesh that you've just pulled out and you've taken it into your own hands physically, into your own flesh, and you've gone now attacked and stabbed flesh and blood. And you compare that to what Paul says, that we don't actually, we're not fighting flesh and blood, but we fight in the spirit, by the sword of the spirit. And so when we take things into our own hands, ultimately we end up in the flesh and where the flesh leads, and the flesh always leads to death or as the spirit leads to life. <clears throat> so I think I'll leave it there. Um, yeah. Just before I close, I'll pray. So, Father God, we thank you that you are the king. Our Father who is in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven where you are in control, where your will is done, where you are in complete control. And, Lord, we give you control of ourselves. We give up the control in our hearts and we ask you to rule and reign there. And we thank you that we can be still and know that you are God. That we put our trust and our hope in you and your word. And I thank you that we grow as a body, united in love, where all control is relinquished, where all control is surrendered, and all that remains is trust and hope and faith and love. And we thank you for being with us tonight. And if there is anyone feeling out of control, feeling anxious, we lift them up to you right now, God. And we thank you that that anxiety is removed by the power of the Holy Spirit and that every anxious thought is stilled 
just as you stilled the storm. We speak to that anxious thought and we command it to be still in the name of Jesus. We give you the glory. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you were all encouraged by that. Love you all.